0: Welcome to Pairing Episode 12, The Return of the King. This is the sixth and last installment in our Middle Earth and Old World wine series, wherein I, Emma Sherjarko, pair each place in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings with a different wine region in Europe. I originally had planned on splitting this episode into two parts like the previous episodes, but because we've already broken the one hour mark with last episode, the Dracula episode, I decided to give it to you in one final full swoop there's a lot of fun stuff in here a lot of great wine info and i get a little audibly tipsy which is super fun and not at all embarrassing so enjoy that thank you guys so much for listening to this series which really inspired me to make this podcast in the first place over the course of these six episodes we've talked about over 30 european wine regions and over 20 important grape varietals which is so awesome that you've stuck with us for all that information I hope you've enjoyed it and hopefully you've learned a thing or two besides just how much of a giant nerd I am, though if that's all you take from it, I mean, that's that's fair. Before we begin, I just wanted to thank all of you who have been showing us so much love on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook. Between you making your own blog posts about pairing wine with Lord of the Rings, asking me about Sangiovese Rosés I love that I actually got multiple questions about that because Sangiovese Rosé is my absolute favorite. And posting photos of your own pairings, you are all just warming my heart, and I love interacting with you, so please keep it coming. Lastly, but not leastly, thank you to our newest patrons, Sarah Taylor, Allison Phillips, and Kelly Quinn, as well as our advanced, aka producer-level patron, Mara Zobrist. You all have the heart of Samwise Gamgee, the wisdom of Gandalf, and the destiny of Aragorn. I am just blown away by how much generosity we've been receiving from our absolutely delightful listeners, and I've been having fun sending people personalized pairings. Sorry, I've kind of fallen behind on some of those, but they're coming. Editing together audio extras, and a couple of days ago we had our first live stream, which was so much fun. If you like the sound of all of this bonus content, you too can become a pairing patron at patreon.com slash where you can pledge as little as $1 a month to the show. If you don't feel like pledging to the Patreon, that is so fine. But if you would consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be amazing. Ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes specifically are the number one things that help us grow and move us up in the charts. So if you could do that, that would be outstanding. Without further ado, here is episode 12 The Return of the King. Returned. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are back in the studio after quite a, quite a while away. We've we've had an, an yeah. eventful few weeks. We've been around. We've been jet setting. We've been doing stuff. We've been going places. So, but I'm very excited and happy to be back here, partially because I decided to open this phenomenal bottle of wine, which I've been holding on to for almost a year now. Got it for Christmas last year. So yes almost a year and um so this is francois carillon's Pouilly Montrachet from uh 2013 and i really think it's a testament to how much i love the lord of the rings and the return of the king that i opened this wine just to talk about the return of the king it's
1: a special n- occasion yeah
0: we're not we're not eating anything with this we already had dinner this is just this is just pure pure uh Wine and book pairing.
1: Yeah, we had a nice, pretty, pretty decadent dinner, though. It's pretty appropriate for Return of the King. We did, we did, yeah, kind, earlier, yeah. Kind of like the steward of Gondor eating his Totally. Eating his oh, we're oh we're gonna meal.
0: oh we're gonna get there. <laughs> we're gonna get there. Um, so I want to start off again with um a couple great pairings instead of just diving right into the story. Um, there's a couple crucial characters who we haven't talked too much about yet, and those are, Merry and Pippin. Mary. Everyone's favorite well Fool I of a Took yeah. and friend. Well that yeah, that's Pippin. Yeah. Fool of a toque and friend.
1: They're the the, the B team of homosexual habits. Yeah.
0: <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> But they're they're two of my favorite characters because I think, actually, of all the characters in the book, they grow the most and change the most.
1: They really do have nice, satisfying yeah. arcs to them. Yeah, because
0: Frodo and Sam, like, yeah, they go on a big journey, but Frodo's kind of always noble, always kind of heroic. Sam is always loyal, yeah. they, and that's just kind of pushed to the extreme. Mary and Pippin are forced to
1: like grow up, grow basically. up basically. Yeah, yeah.
0: And so, and I love that, and I love that Tolkien gives them a time to shine in right. in the story. Okay, so for Mary, I'm giving him the grape Grenache, which is also known as garnacha, and for Pippin, I'm giving him pinot gris or pinot grigio. Nice. Yeah. So just to talk about that, unpack that a little bit. <laughs> I started this up. A grape by any other name. Uh, <laughs> both are grapes, so both Grenache and Pinot Gris, or Garn- Garnacha and Pinot Grigio, are incredibly, incredibly different in um, in the different regions in which they grow. So, like a Pinot Gris from Alsace is going to be totally different from an Italian Pinot Grigio.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's it's very hard to tell that they're the same grape sometimes. Both are pleasant at their worst, but phenomenal at their best. So I feel like that's pretty, pretty good description. Yeah, they're of...
1: they're definitely easy drinking, even if they're not particularly good.
0: Absolutely. They don't and tend to
1: get as sickly sweet as some of the bad white wines.
0: The Pinot, Gris- oh, Pinot Grigio you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. no, I was talking price- about both Garnacha and yeah, both Pinot Grigio. Yeah, so of them you know garnacha or grenache is kind of a really good just kind of go-to red wine. Some people really don't like it, um which I don't fully understand because I find it very unoffensive. It's just sort of a easy drinking, medium body, not too much acidity to it usually, not too much tannin. Um it's kind of like a fruitier, prettier pinot noir is how I often describe grenache or garnacha. So anyway, so on that note, so Mary is pretty smooth, rolls with the punches more than any other character, I would argue. he From the beginning, Mary, Mary's kind of like the one who knows what's up. He gets Frodo out of Hobbiton. He, he, like, figures out this whole conspiracy, and he makes this huge plan, and he he's the one who kind of is the secret hero behind this. I One of my favorite things from that's in the book that's not in the movie, I forget if I talked about this earlier or not, I don't think I did, but, you know, in the movie when they're at Moria, and they're trying to figure out how to get in. Mm-hmm. It's Frodo who figures out what to say to get them oh, into Moria. Speak,
1: speak friend and enter.
0: Yeah, and he's like, speak friend? What's the elvish word for friend? And in in the book, it's not exactly Mary who figures it out, but he's the one who's first onto it. So Mary, Mary's very sharp. I also love the commentary of The Lord of the Rings because uh, Dominic Monaghan, who plays Mary in the movies, is one of the funniest people in the world. Charlie. 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 <laughs> Charlie. I know, I know, but he's he's so charming. He's so he's such a great guy. As far as I know. I don't know him personally, but from what I can tell. So, so as I said earlier, Garnacha is generally lighter and lower in tannin. Um, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't have beauty or complexity to it. Some of the really great Garnachas or gar- Grenaches in the world have amazing complexity. So Grenache is the primary grape of Southern Rhone wines. So like chateauneuf de pape Vaccarat, Gigondas, Rhône, those are usually primarily Grenache-based. And then Spanish Garnacha is often just a really great affordable drinking wine. Uh, And then I wrote here, wise even when it's young, just like Mary. (laughs) I really, I really did a good job with these notes. Yeah, Um, (laughs) I did. I did indeed. So then Pippin, for Pippin, Pinot Grigio is just fun. It's fun. It's as you were saying. It doesn't get like a lot of people don't like Chardonnay or don't like Sauvignon Blanc for whatever reason. Um, But usually Pinot Grigio is a pretty safe bet. It often doesn't have a lot going on to it, but it's never, like, terrible. I, I, like, it's pretty consistent.
1: I mean, if you're going to sit down and have, like, a nice salad and a light dinner and watch a fantasy epic, it's a reliable companion.
0: There you go. On the other hand, Pinot Gris, so that's the French counterpart to Pinot Grigio, same grape, different place, different Mm. name. It has much more richness- depth and complexity to it like i i don't know if you remember or not no, i but like I, the
1: pinot gris you brought. Home. yeah i've
0: brought home some pinot gris from alsace so from france and from germany and um even from the west coast of the united states um that have a little bit more going on to them much much richer texture to them more tropical fruit personally that's a little more my style yeah that wine is so good
1: Sorry, I was just smelling it again. It's got yeah, like some funky earth tones in yeah. it. it's really good. Yeah. Sorry, go on.
0: No, no, no. And so, and so, then I just wrote here. You know, this is this is indicative of how a person can grow and still be the same.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. man, when he's singing the uh, singing the song yeah. in the movie, I know. I mean, and it's a much different experience as you read the book. I have not read *Return of the King*. Full disclosure. Um,
0: <gasps>
1: I know. I know. I'm sorry. I'm a bad person.
0: I learned this shortly before coming I, into the recording studio, so I was prepared. But
1: I do think that's one of the best scenes in the film. That sort of the intercutting between the
0: oh the yeah attack
1: on and um,
0: with him singing and and yeah. then Dennis Thor just eating all yeah. the bloody meat and the grapes and like juice yeah. just spilling down. Oh, is, it's yeah, just great it's, editing. It really is. It really, really is. Um, so that brings us. To our first place, our first new place in *The Return of the King*, which is Gondor. Nice. Oh, we've been waiting to get here forever. Minas Tirith. To Minas Tirith, uh, the which white is city. yes, which is the um, the capital city of Gondor, which is sort of the ca- the the capital of the race of men in the world at this point.
1: Yeah, or at least its most prominent city. Yeah, and so it's like it, the New York of humanity. Yeah, it's kind of
0: yeah, it's New York. It's a good way to fight describe it. Yep. Fight us, other cities. Yeah,
1: fight us.
0: Fight us. But so the region, appropriately, that I'm giving Gondor is Burgundy. And why that's what that we're a, drinking. Why
1: is that appropriate? Oh, well, we're drinking it right yeah, now. Yeah,
0: we're drinking right now. so, uh, so it's white Burgundy? Yeah, I guess I should have specified mm. before when I said this is a Pouligny-Montrachet. So Pouligny-Montrachet is a sub-region in Burgundy. Um, for those of you who don't know... Amongst the wine people in the world, um, <laughs> um, Burgundy is considered the finest, if if not the finest, one of the absolute best wine regions in the world. And I would argue specifically because of its white wines. Hmm. A lot of people would prefer the the red wines, which are made from Pinot Noir in Burgundy, but I prefer the white wines, which are made from Chardonnay. If you think you don't like Chardonnay try a burgundy
1: well you gotta have one of these if you don't like chardonnay yeah it's like it's like chardonnay um went through some sort of mutagenic process like wolverine or something and came out with like an adamantium skeleton and like a thousand times more kick-ass power (laughs) it's so good
0: that's amazing
1: this is the weapon x of chardonnays this
0: is a pretty astounding wine. And this is not even the the best Chardonnay from Burgundy that I've ever tasted.
1: Oh, it's so good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty outstanding. So the reason why I decided to do this pairing is because we're talking about a gorgeous land. So the gorgeous land of Minas Tirith and a gorgeous wine. I would argue this is pretty gorgeous wine. I would argue that Burgundy is some of the most beautiful wine in the world. Um, it's almost mythical. Burgundy has an almost mythical history to it. You hear about it for a long time, and then you finally get there. I'm talking about Gondor in this context, right? Because Gondor is sort of a mythical land, right? In in the con- in the context of the Lord of the Rings, they talk about Gondor for a long time when they meet Aragorn and all that, um, and then you finally get there. It's a small but prestigious area. Burgundy is quite small, actually. In in the grand scheme of things, it's really, and and so site-specific. Everything is broken down so specifically in Burgundy. Elegant and delicate, I wrote, but rich and with depth. Yeah, I'd say that's true. I would say that this is an elegant wine, but a very rich wine at the same time.
1: But it's low in acid and tannin. But it still kind of lingers. It's on the got tongue it's got moderate
0: acid to it, I would argue.
1: <clears throat> I don't know what I'm talking about, yeah. listeners. Yeah, I, <laughs> I always defer to. Everything. Yeah,
0: <laughs> well, everybody's perception of these things is different. Again, I think I mentioned before. I would love to do an episode where we go through, like, the tasting grid of the Court of Master Sommeliers and talk about what you look for when you're tasting a wine. Um, I think that would be really fun. Um, but for now, I'm just going to name some really great producers from Burgundy to look out for. Unfortunately, Burgundy is fucking expensive. Mm-hmm. There's no way around it. There's, like, you know, a few that are in the 20 to $30 range. Um, the only really... Um, Actually, affordable region in Burgundy, which is one of my favorite, is the um, Maconnais. So if you see a Macon village, those tend to be like somewhere in the fifteen to twenty five dollar range, and um and they're awesome. They're made from the Chardonnay grape as well, and crisp and you know, they're not your oaky, buttery California Chardonnay. They're they're fantastic. But otherwise, some of the great producers or names that you'll see in Burgundy are Roche de Belaine, which is also a. I put that one on there because that's also a fairly affordable one. They have sort of an entry level uh, red and white that is pretty affordable. Louis Jadeau, Lafon, Dujac, Carillon, that's what we're drinking. Moret, Lafleve, Collant, I could go on forever. I work for a master sommelier who uh, runs a Burgundy festival every year. And so I have been really, really lucky in that I've had a lot of exposure to the wines of Burgundy, which I think most people don't get to have, which I I recognize. I'm really, really lucky for that. So.
1: But if you're you're going to splurge on a nice, a nice wine for special occasion, I think.
0: Yeah. So
1: it's hard to go wrong.
0: My personal, my personal taste is if I'm going to splurge on a bottle of white wine, I'm going to get a, a burgundy. Hmm. If I'm going to splurge on a bottle of red wine, I'm going to get something from Tuscany. So that's my nice. sort of That's my palette. If, so you you got, had, if you had to break it down, yeah, you your
1: French white, your Italian red. Also, I mean, it, you know, I think this particular burgundy that we're drinking right now, this Montrachet, would probably be a good pairing for a certain uh, heroine of the Star Wars saga that we're about to meet again.
0: You think for Ray?
1: Yeah, I think it'd be a good Ray, a good Ray pairing.
0: Yeah, yeah you know for sure that would be a good one
1: sweet but capable you but know?
0: fucking intense yeah, yeah. super yeah. super tough really strong and pretty much unbeatable yeah yeah. <laughs> um, she's,
1: she's, uh, yeah she's got a mary sue vibe going that i'm totally into
0: in i mean i was just talking about the wine but like in terms of
1: mm-hmm.
0: in terms of white wine this is unbeatable you, totally uh, from my opinion yeah all right so moving on so then There's this really interesting chapter in the book, and the interpretation in the movie is very, very different. Um, The Paths of the Dead. So in the movie, it's just Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli who, like, go off on this quest to, like persuade the dead to fight with them and there's like a very pirates of the caribbean scene it's like this ghost you know it's it's lots of skulls and stuff like that that's not how it is in the book what what happens is and it's something that i'll have to reread because as i was reading it growing up i still don't fully understand it what really happens but basically so the dunedine come the dunedine being the people of whom aragorn is one who came from numenor and the rest of the Dune and I come and they're like, Aragorn, you got to go with us on the Paths of the Dead. Either that or he's like, you got to come with me on the Paths of the Dead. I forget exactly how it works. But something has to do with Aragorn's destiny in the Path of the Dead. All
1: right.
0: Which is cool. Um, and it's really kind of, like, it's very mystical and weird. It's, it's the weirdest part of the books, I think. It's got that Personally. sort of... It sort of, it sort of back, harkens back to the barrow-down scene. Yeah, where that's what I always think yeah, of, too. Yeah, which, which didn't make it into the movie, it, which is just, like, kind of eerie and dark, and there's and there's something going on that I, I've i never fully understand understood.
1: Well, I think it really plays on that, and maybe it's not a uniquely British thing, but I know in a lot of British folklore, there's that idea that the veil between life and death And you know, you know, mortals and fairies and spirits and everything—it's just very thin in some places. And you know, if you get lost in the mist or the moors or something, you can accidentally end up kind of in the land of the dead. Yeah. And it seems—it seems more like that than like a bunch of zombie soldiers showing up. I like that. It's just about how sort of thin our grasp on it all is, maybe, or how permeable. Um, sort of the spirit realm is. Winston,
0: I really like that interpretation. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. I turned it around in a wine context, and I think you'll like how I did this, but I decided to pair it with a region in Greece because of of the kind of Grecian mythology surrounding the dead and, like, Hades and... And mm. the like, wor- the underworld of the dead, yeah. which is sort of what they're passing into in a way. They're kind of passing into the world of the dead and coming out the other side, kind of like, you know, what what's their names, Persephone. And...
1: Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, what's the name of the dude? help us spirits podcast um, listeners? Orpheus.
0: Oh yeah, Orps. Orpheus. Orpheus and Eurydice. Duh. Um... I was in that play. Nice. Well, I was in the Jean Ennui version. Yeah. I played Eurydice's mom, who uh, that yeah. was that was uh, my favorite, one of my favorite roles ever to play, partially because Dylan Marin played my lover. Oh, nice.
1: Yeah. Well, and also, like, <laughs> in the Odyssey, he has to consult the dead. Right. He has to go to Hades and consult. It's, it's sort of, it's, and I think in the Aeneid, too, although it's been longer, I'm not as familiar, but I think he has to talk to the dead at some point in the Aeneid, too. It's like, it's part of the ancient hero's journey, and certainly, like, The spirit gals can, you know, give you a better perspective than us, but like the Egyptian afterlife. Yeah. um, Oh, yeah, there's
0: all sorts of stuff going on.
1: There's this idea, I think, that you have to confront death at some point Mm. to complete a hero's journey.
0: Yeah, well, and we can also look into Joseph Campbell with that. Because it's interesting because both Aragorn and Frodo confront death, but but in very different ways. Aragorn literally passes through, in a more mythological sense, right. passes through the paths of the dead and comes out the other side, and even coerces the dead to work with him. While Frodo, in a little less literal sense, or no, no, I think more literal sense, is like on the brink of death.
1: Oh sure, and but, but on also... the
0: brink, and on the brink of losing his soul. That's even. yeah, I was and, gonna say that. Yeah.
1: He, he's his. Spiritual death is, like, a constant specter in in his journey. Yeah, yeah. He's very interesting. He's constantly diminishing, whereas um, Aragorn kind of seems to master death and grow.
0: I think, and in in thinking about this, like, Aragorn is a much more kind of archetypal Grecian-Roman type of hero. And Frodo is such an unusual hero that we just love him so much because he's just a little guy who's fighting so hard to save the world. And uh, and Aragorn is like destined to be king. So anyway, so that's why I paired this, this part of the book with Greece and Greece is a region that I definitely want to delve into in terms of wine much, much more. It's a region that I don't know a ton about, um, but obviously has a very, very old history um, but the, the one the one region that I wanted to talk about is the island of Santorini because that is where my favorite, my personal favorite uh, white wine comes from, which uh, is made from the Assyrtico grape, which is in many ways kind of like Chardonnay. It's a little less, it's often a little less uh, robust, I, I guess I would say, but it's got a similar kind of, what's the word, dialectic between that that was a word from my college days folks <laughs> um <laughs> dialectic quality um between between uh its richness and its sharpness um which i i i love i love asierdecos and the best the best producer to look out for is Sigalas, if you want to try an asierdeco so next, we're coming up on one of my favorite characters, who I recently discovered did make it into the movies, but I didn't realize it was him. But this is, and you're not going to know this because you didn't read the books.
1: Well, I read, I read The Fellowship and most of the Two Towers.
0: Well, you didn't read The Return of the King. Yeah. But, so the guy who shows up during this huge battle in Gondor is Imrahil have you you know Emmerich? No, no. no yeah so Lay he he's he's one of my he's one of my favorite characters who just kind of like is there and is awesome kind of like Laura Findel in the fellowship of the ring <laughs> just like just like i'm here i'm a bouse, i'm just going to be here and be a bouse if you need me to Cool, um, and so.
1: <laughs> What's that? You got enough bosses? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, All yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm here.
0: All right. I'll still be here.
1: I'll be a reserve boss. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so Imrahil, he he's a prince, and I believe he's half elven or like comes from elven descent, but is a man. Um, and he's a prince on this island, kind of off the coast of 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 Gondor of of Middle Earth. Huh. And he's one of my favorite unsung heroes. Oh, the Prince of Dol Amroth. Dol Amroth and Belfalas, um, and he only appears in the battle for Gondor. Um, he's also one of the Dunedain, apparently.
1: So that those are the guys from Numenor who are mm-hmm. Aragorns, yeah. People,
0: yeah. Apparently, uh, yeah. So I so I was googling him because I was like I was trying to remember without having to go through the book. The name of Dol Amroth and Belfalas, and um, and it came, what came up was this guy who is in the movies. Uh he's like he's blonde and he's in the battle for Osgiliath. He like brings Faramir back from Osgiliath when Faramir is mortally wounded.
1: Uh, in that
0: oh in the heartbreaking scene where Pippin is singing. Right, right. The guy who brings him back, apparently that's supposed to be Imrahil. Totally doesn't do him justice. He's a super badass. And so anyway, so the grape that I've paired with him is Albarino. Nice. Um for a couple of different reasons. So it's a noble grape. It's a seafaring grape. It's, what do you
1: it's... mean a seafaring grape? <laughs> I wasn't aware that they you're gonna had question, shipbuilding technology. You to
0: question me? Of oh, course just... they had shipbuilding technology. The they built ships. No, not the grapes. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm I'm, I'm legitimately curious. I'm not trying to undercut you.
0: So the reason why I'm saying a seafaring grape, quote unquote, is because Albariño grows in Rias Baixas in Spain, which is that northwest region in, like, uh, Galicia, uh, above Galicia. Oh, cool,
1: cool. um, So getting close to Portugal.
0: Yeah, it's totally just north of Portugal. We talked about this a little bit earlier in the Fellowship of the Ring when I paired Rias Baixas with Weathertop because it's kind of like a windy... It's right on the coast, and it's it's a very uh, it, it's a grape that has a lot of salinity to it, kind of like you can almost taste the sea sometimes when mm. you're drinking some Alberinos. Love Alberino.
1: It's really good with like oysters. Absolutely, it's an shellfish. awesome awesome
0: wine to pair with um, any kind of shellfish. Yeah, and so yeah, so this is where I uh, I wrote down here. It harkens back to Weathertop, where most of the dunedine are. If Imrahil is one of the dunedine it just feels right.
1: Wait, why are the Why are the Dúnedain at Weathertop? Well, that most of
0: them live there. That's where That's where Aragorn came from.
1: Oh, in at, that, at in the Watchtower. Re-
0: mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that region. That region. Yeah. yeah. It's been
1: so long. I know. Yeah. Been so long. Yeah,
0: because that's where Aragorn was like hanging out before he decided to go on this quest with Frodo, uh, save the but world. That, that is where they embrace st- his destiny. That
1: is where they stop, and it's the broken Watchtower, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and
0: okay. and Frodo's stabbed by the yeah, Witch okay. King of Angmar. Right. So I'm yep. thinking
1: of the right place. All right. You are.
0: Yeah. So anyway, so that's Imrahil. That's my little. That's my little uh, Not to nerd. Be confused in, with uh,
1: Imrail from Cushiel's. Yep. Scion. No different.
0: Different book. Different person. We're going on to Asgiliath and the Palenor Fier- fields. Nice. And I'm pairing Rioja with that. What? Winston's favorite.
1: My Spanish wines represent.
0: Yep. Winston loves Tempranillo and Rioja, um, which, as he should, because they're amazing wines. (laughs) I love my notes. I wrote here, Aged for a long time, like this battle. I don't know what that means exactly. Except that you can age Rioja for a long time and, like, this battle is fucking epic and huge. And so, you know, in the movie, the the battle takes up, like, an hour of a three-hour movie without the you know, extra scenes which makes it a four and a half hour movie. That's true. And this is, you know, one of the most amazing I feel like I would argue scenes in cinema, most cathartic scenes of Theoden and the Rohirrim riding down that hill and shouting, Death. Oh my God. It sends chills up my spine every time and I've seen that movie a lot. Yeah.
1: Um I know it's from a different uh film, but that it's that ride for ruin. Ride for wrath. Yep, and the world's ending. It's very, it's very Viking. Whenever the Rohirrim show up, you, there's like a it's huge very Ragnarok.
0: Viking. Totally, feel to totally, it. very Viking, very Shakespearean. It's yeah. very, and and for and for some reason that just feels right for Rioja mm-hmm. for me which is a very spicy red wine. It's very deep. It's very full-bodied. And as it ages, it kind of mellows out and becomes this really just, like, absolutely delicious, quaffable...
1: Right. I was going to say convivial. You know, it's a it's a mm. wine for... It's a wine for, like, a meat and cheese plate mm-hmm. where you're sharing... It's It's for tapas and finger food and things you're sharing with other people. It's that eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we may die kind of wine sure you know? which um, is what
0: you know if i were fighting in a huge battle all i would want at the end of that battle is a cheese plate
1: yeah or to the pair with my real or hot. the night before i mean maybe less cheese more meat because you don't yeah, want the probably, cheese yeah I, yeah i feel like that wouldn't i feel like that wouldn't
0: be the best idea
1: <laughs> <laughs> at dawn we ride <laughs> excuse me i oh, mm. Destiny awaits. I'll be over in the bushes.
0: Don't eat cheese before the night of a battle or on the night of a Any, battle. Anyone can that's tell you the, that. That's the, that's the lesson we're taking from this. Um, and, so I, and so I wrote down here, Um, this is Spain's greatest wine. Rioja is certainly considered Spain's greatest wine region, pretty much bar none. But there's many different levels to Rioja just like there are many, many scenes in this battle scene, which is awesome. Um, but the, some of the different levels of Rioja are joven, which means young, which as you can imagine, just means it was, you know, bottled, you know, fermented, bottled, produced pretty quickly. Um, crianza, a little aged a little bit more. Reserva, aged even a little more. And Gran Reserva, aged for quite a while. And so those are some of the levels of Rioja. We're definitely gonna get into that a little bit more at some point. So some of my favorite producers in uh, in Rioja are López de Heredia, Muga, Artali, and Remuyuri. All right, so let's do a couple of great pairings. So we're going to talk about our two kind of leaders of the race of men, Theoden and Denethor. Very different leaders. Um, for Theoden, the grape that I gave him is Cabernet Sauvignon, and the grape that I gave Denethor is Malbec. And I will explain why.
1: <laughs> also, boo, Denethor, boo. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, <laughs> boo, Wendy Desneberger. Yeah, yeah, we don't like him so much. <laughs> so Cabernet Sauvignon is one of the greatest grapes in the world. It's at least one of the most popular. And I think most people like Theoden. I think he's a, he's a pretty likable guy after he escapes his... Yeah. You know, thralldom. He's
1: flawed, but glorious.
0: Yeah. So Cabernet Sauvignon is full-bodied. It's dark, dark fruit. Um, it's earthy. And it's very smooth, often. And I just think Theoden is one of the greatest characters, and he's a very noble character. And I think that Cabernet Sauvignon is a very noble great. This is one of the few cases where I think... Well, I mean, in general, I love the movies. I think that... What's his name? Bernard Hill.
1: Who plays Theoden.
0: Mm-hmm. I think he's spectacular. Yeah. I think he's spectacular Yeah, I think they, they
1: really nail that character. Yeah. Like, the whole redemptive yeah. arc. because it really brings that character on.
0: to life in a way that I I didn't get from the book.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You really, really care about Theoden. On the other hand, <laughs> Denethor, Boo. they make you hate him even more <laughs> in the movie. Boo. I think John Noble plays him in the
1: movie. and He's also um, wonderful. By the way, oh, he's
0: a fantastic actor,
1: absolutely. He's even great in that show. What was it, uh, Fringe?
0: Yeah, that's yeah. right.
1: That was the only part yeah. of that show that I enjoyed. Yeah,
0: no, he was great on that show. So Malbec is not without nobility and quality, but it is often led astray and made less attractive. This, this is me subtly referencing the commercialization of the Malbec grape, um, in Argentina. It can be fantastic. It really, really can from some of the greatest producers. And often I I personally prefer French Malbec to Argentine Malbec a lot because I think Argentine Malbec is just so mass produced. So, but anyway, the point is Malbec is a grape that has been totally commercialized and kind of corrupted in a lot of ways. Again, I'm not saying that Malbec isn't great and that there aren't many great producers of Malbec out there and I'll definitely talk more about malbec and some of the ones that I really like at some point later but in general I think that's a pretty good analogy Denethor, to malbec yeah. really great potential kind of seduced and
1: corrupted got a little too into the status quo yep not not able to um not able to really change or be dynamic yeah when necessary and not, yeah. again that's not all malbecs but yeah speaking of wine
0: yeah Let's let's take <laughs> a
1: quick break here.
0: And we're back. We're back from refilling our glasses with this fantastic polini Boomrashi. All right. It's going to get a little dark.
1: Uh-oh.
0: It's getting dark because now we're in Mordor. Sam and Frodo have entered Mordor and we have to we have to go there with them. And so I figure this is one that I'm like, okay, There's no wine that's right for Mordor. It's the worst place in the world. There wouldn't be any wine there.
1: Yeah. It's like, if I was going to pair it with any alcohol, it would be like old granddad whiskey. Yeah. (laughs) Like like a whiskey that comes in a plastic paint job.
0: Yeah, or like Everclear or something.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 Mouthwash.
0: Yeah, pretty much. So instead of going in that direction, the direction I decided to go in for Mordor is, what do I want to drink while I'm reading about Mordor or watching Mordor, where I'm watching these horrible things happen or reading about these horrible things happen. Because
1: you need something to fortify you.
0: Exactly. So I want to be drinking probably the best wine in the world if if I'm doing that.
1: And what is that?
0: Well, I don't know. That's a controversial statement. But one of the best wines in the world is certainly the wines of Piedmont in northern Italy. So we're talking Barolo, Barbaresco, Nebbiolos, barberas mm. Mm. these absolutely outstanding wines that have such grip to them, too, that I feel like it really can fortify you and make you strong to go forward. Vivacity. Yes, indeed.
1: We've been watching Frasier.
0: So part of, but part of the kind of uh, thematic analogy is Piedmont, or Piemonte in Italian, means the foot of the mountain. Of course, we're talking about Mordor. We're talking about you know. the area before you go up Mount Doom, the mountain. So in Mordor, we're in, we're at the foot of the mountain.
1: Also, kind of a Sam-wise sort of grape, right? Or does he get his own pairing?
0: He gets his own pairing.
1: Okay, I don't want to ruin it. Then I was just gonna say he's so full of like strength and yeah. life and willpower that he's got kind of that that good. Absolutely, Monty. that
0: could be that could be a good grape pairing. By the by the way, these. All of these pairings that I'm making, they're totally subjective. I'm just trying to get us through some of the big regions in Europe and some of the major grapes. And if you disagree, that's awesome. Please let me know about it. And um, I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, So in terms of the wines of Piedmont, the most prestigious regions being Barolo and Barbaresco. The grape of those regions is Nebbiolo. Nebbiolo is a really interesting grape because it's fairly light in body and has some really nice intensity of like red fruit to it, almost like a Pinot Noir, except then it has this really intense tannic element to it, and it's sort of not, it's it's more intense than Sangiovese, but like Sangiovese, it's 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 red fruited but really really intense. Sangiovese I'd say is higher in acid, Nebbiolo is higher in tannin. In general. And again, we'll talk more about what that means later. Well, I haven't had dust. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm okay. I could talk about it if I needed to. I just don't think now No time! No time!
1: We have to make it to the end! <laughs> yeah, that's right. We gotta throw that ring in there.
0: Yeah. There but there there's like kind of a softness to nebbiolo, especially aged nebbiolo. It's very kind of like warm and soft. And I, I that reminds me of Frodo and Sam's relationship. Yeah, it's very the, tender. Very tender. Yes, yeah, indeed. That's where we're going to leave it for now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's not where Sam wants to leave
0: it. So, <clears throat> but some of the greatest producers in in Piedmont. Again, this is another region where I could go off, kind of like Burgundy. But Vira. Is one of my favorite producers, and they make a Barolo called Albe, um, I think which means Dawn, which is sort of an introductory Barolo, which is not terribly expensive, meaning it's like $40 a bottle as opposed so to So still
1: pretty pricey. Yeah, it's
0: very pricey. But if you want to treat yourself, look for the Vira Albe Barolo. Then there's also Vietti, Gaia, Domenico Clerico. Renato Ratti, um, Masolino. Again, I could go on and on and on. Um, I love, love, love the wines from this region. They're pretty spectacular. So next, we go to Mount Doom itself, the mountain itself. Doom. Doom. <laughs> Tonight at ten. Um, <laughs>
1: also watch Futurama. It's great.
0: Yeah, yeah. Futurama is fantastic. Um, and so this is kind of a weird this is kind of an obscure pairing. I'm not sure that most people would make this connection, but I am pairing the wine region of Etna in Sicily. That is also a volcanic region Yeah, though, right? Yeah, that's why. Um, nice. It's not so obscure. But in terms of a wine region, I feel like most people would be like, they make wine there? Because most people don't know about Sicilian wine coming from Etna. but I firmly believe that this is the next up-and-coming, like, big wine region.
1: Undiscovered country.
0: Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's pretty discovered, but it's But yes, in terms of its quality, I think it's going to gain the prestige of like Burgundy and Piedmont soon. Because the primary red grape of this region is Norello Mascalese. And it kind of has many similarities to Pinot Noir and to Nebbiolo. And it's just, mm, I love those wines. And again, using the reasoning of... We want to be drinking the best wine while we're going through the hardest time. Totally. Um. So we're going to be drinking some Norella Well, And
1: also Sicily, like all those island kingdoms have been conquered and reconquered and re-reconquered so many times. Like they're, It's a, traditionally a very war-torn and violent place. Not that I'm saying it is now, but it's been mm-hmm. through a lot.
0: Absolutely. You know?
1: um, and so I guess that kind of makes sense for parts of Mordor, too. And and for Sam and Frodo, having endured so Absolutely. much violence and deprivation.
0: And so again, returning to my notes, thank God for my notes. Um, I wrote down here, with the destruction of the ring, we enter into into a new age. Literally a new age of Middle Earth. Thus begins the fourth age of Middle Earth. Um in the future of wine, the wines of Etna are going to be some of the greatest. So I feel like we're entering a new age of nice. wine.
1: A new era of wine. Very nice. You hit her here first.
0: That's right. <laughs> um, you're welcome and Sicily you're welcome Sicily, you're awesome um, and so some of my favorite producers um, in Sicily are the Altamora Cusumano Benanti Cos and Ariana Occhipinti. Ariana Occhipinti. she doesn't produce in the Etna region but she is fucking awesome and I'm definitely talking about her soon she's a woman winemaker to, to take them all down and next, as you were just saying, a great pairing for Sam, you were saying Nebbiolo would be a good pairing. I chose Chardonnay for Sam. Well,
1: let's talk about it. Let's unpack that a yeah, little bit. Yeah, let's unpack it. Because wouldn't necessarily have occurred to me, but I'm intrigued.
0: Here we go. According to people in the wine industry, many people in the wine industry, Chardonnay is considered the, to be the greatest white grape in the world. Hmm. It is. It's, or Or according to some, even the greatest grape in the world. It has such potential. Like, we're tasting here with this wine that we're drinking.
1: Oh, yeah. Which you might need
0: to revisit. Yes, remember this is a Chardonnay that you're drinking. And so if Chardonnay is the greatest grape in the world, I would argue that Sam is pretty much the greatest person in the world. He's pretty great. It Kind of selfless and loyal, kind. Oh, yeah. Not without his feist. He's
1: generous. He's brave. Yeah. Yeah. He is, he is kind of the ideal human. <laughs> he is. He is.
0: Um, I wrote down here, full body, like both Chardonnay and Sam. He's, mm-hmm. a, he's a little guy. Yeah, he's got a stout. Little, He's got a little tummy, but full heart. And I feel like this is a full hearted wine and he's a full hearted person. Um, and there's complexity and richness to both while still being dry and practical. Yeah. Because, you know, there can be pretty just like simple, dry, easy drinking Chardonnays as the well. The Cougar juice. Yep. <laughs> well I don't know I would call those dry and practical no <laughs> those no, 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 are no. pretty <laughs> But
1: that's also in Chardonnay it's like when he yells at Gollum and he d- displays that he can be a little bigoted yeah exactly as well as... exactly
0: he's not perfect
1: yeah. he's not perfect there's sure. a little cougar juice there's in a all little, of us there's a little
0: cougar juice in all of us even Samwise Gamgee <laughs> <laughs> um, but he is full of love and I think Chardonnay is great full of love or at least I have a lot of love for Chardonnay. All right, so at this point things are looking up. Frodo faced his spiritual death and he conquered it with Sam's help, and and the eagles came in.
1: Yeah, God, God love those handy eagles. got
0: love the eagles. I had I had a theory recently about why. Oh yes, it's because in the Silmarillion, the sort of legends, the yeah, the the mythos, the the mythos of of. Middle-earth and Lord of the Rings, the kind of main god, the kind of Zeus-like god. Is that Mawe? Manwe. Monway. Yes. Manway. Okay. Gotcha. Um, who comes down to earth. He is the lord of the eagles. And so it seems like this deus ex machina, it literally is a deus ex machina. Right. It's, it's, eagles are sort of a symbol of a god coming in right. to intervene They're in, the in Tolkien's of the god. in Tolkien's mythos, which I think is kind of cool.
1: That is really um, cool. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. From you know the exploding volcano of Mount Doom, we return to Minas Tirith, and for this return to Minas Tirith, I um I give that um Beaujolais,
1: because it, it's kind of like a new birth.
0: Exactly, and so Beaujolais is so we remember we paired Burgundy with uh Gondor earlier. Mm-hmm. Beaujolais is technically part of Burgundy. It's um just on the su- southern part of Burgundy. And it's much lighter, it's much fruitier, it's very quaffable, easy drinking. Much, much more. They're becoming more serious wines and becoming some of the most beautiful, pretty red wines in the world. And that that's what I was drinking, remember when we talked about the Hobbit.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um gosh, I love that wine. Um, and it sort of reminds us of simpler, beautiful times and at this moment it's a very mm-hmm. Beautiful time.
1: It's pastoral. It is. It's bucolic, even. Even. Um, That's one of my college words. <laughs> there you
0: go. We've got a dialectic and bucolic. Yep. There we you haven't go. gotten
1: a mimetic yet. But Not yet. We've been glossing over that. Yeah,
0: already. yeah. We'll get there. Some of my favorite producers, like I mentioned in the Hobbit episode, domain Rochette is one of my favorite producers for sort of affordable Beaujolais. Marcel Lapierre is a wonderful producer. Jean Foyard and Dutrev are all fantastic producers. Again, this is a region that I'm very partial to. Go check it out. Next, we're on to uh, our second-to-last grape pairing, and that is for our king, Aragorn. And he gets Nebbiolo.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: I, and I feel the like that's... The noblest grape. It's, it's a noble grape. Also, Barolo, the region for which uh, Nebbiolo is the primary grape, is often called the king of wines. Hmm. I'm not exactly sure where that came from. I'd have to look that up. But it certainly makes sense to me because I think that uh, Barolo is totally the king of wines to me. So I wrote here uh, that Nebbiolo is a lighter-bodied grape that has the most grip and power to it of any grape, which I think is true. And I think that... Hugs the tongue. It really does. Sure does, but you wouldn't know it when, like, when you smell it, you're like, "Oh, this smells kind of fruity and kind yeah. of like dusty and yum." And then you taste it, and you're like, "Holy!" I went to a, I went to a Nebbiolo tasting once, and I like tasted like, like not drinking, just spitting, and and like I could make it like into ten wines, and then my palate was just shot. It was just because there's so much tannin, uh, gripping your tongue. But anyway. I think that's sort of appropriate for Aragorn, who, you know, you for, at first sniff, you're like, hmm, what are you up to? But then eventually you're like, holy shit, you're kind of the most badass guy Well, it's a around. worldly
1: wine. It's got so many different, like, influences and nuances to it. Absolutely. You know, much, much like Aragorn.
0: Absolutely. He does have nuance. Yeah. He's not just a, you know, kind of grecian hero type he sort of he has many anti-hero qualities in his own way he's a lot more
1: like hector yeah i was gonna say achilles or odysseus yeah i
0: think that's a good comparison
1: he's like the rightful guardian of the patria yeah you know he's the patriot yeah um and he's also like you were talking about hugging the tongue i mean he's like you know, if you got to pick any character in the in the whole thing to hug you and tell you everything's going to be okay, maybe Sam. For sure. But if not Sam, definitely Aragorn. I
0: mean, he kind of feels safer probably if Aragorn was hugging. Yeah, he really does. He, Aragorn knows his business. Day. Yeah. Oh, stop it, Emma. So I realized here I didn't make any notes. I kind of glossed over the just as Peter Jackson did, the whole scur, uh, scouring of the Shire.
1: Oh yeah, because um, Saruman. Uh, instead of dying like he does in the extended movie mm-hmm. he goes and takes over the shire yep. and like tries to turn it into a slave yep. plantation and then
0: basically. he eventually yeah. dies and worm tongue kills yeah, worm-tongue him and, stabs and so him it. it's the same it's the same death it's just in a different place
1: yeah
0: and i again i don't really know the right i didn't prepare anything for that so
1: well, what's like a good smack you in the face uh kind of wine because when when the the heroic party returns home to the Shire. When Sam and Frodo and them show up, they basically smack Saruman like right out of there. Yeah, They're like bitch, please.
0: But it's also kind of a smack in the face to come back from this hero's journey after right. all of that and come home and finally, are you yeah. fucking kidding me? Yeah,
1: and they are not having it. Yeah, and
0: also, and also, it's it's a. It, I love that chapter in the book because it's really a moment where particularly Merry and Pippen shine. And yeah. they show how much they've learned, and, and also so kind of, of the lesser grapes.
1: And how hollow Sour Man really is yeah. when it comes to it. Like, all yeah. his knowledge and all his authority is sort of melted away, and he's just this, like, pathetic overseer yeah. kind of at the end. Yeah,
0: it's funny, because the first, the first wine that comes to mind is another Greek wine called Retsina, which is so like tart and acidic that it literally kind of like smacks you in the face and you're like whoa what the hell was that that i just drank or i was Um, thinking even
1: like a a house sake you know yeah just like over and done with well yeah and it's (laughs) out of
0: it's like out of left field it's like wait what What's going on here? We're drinking sake now. Yeah. Okay. okay cool, sure. Fine. Cool. I like sake. What's but, it uh... cheap?
1: All right. Heat that shit up. I yeah, want to yeah, taste yeah. it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. By the way, I love, love, love sake, and I want to get into that definitely in another oh. episode. But I yeah,
1: love sake. I'm just saying, like the cheapest stuff is yeah. what they serve as the hot yeah. sake. because but, that's but not along those how along you're those lines,
0: do. along those lines, I feel like coming back to the Shire and having it be like that is more like like scotch or something mm. you know like yeah, something can see that. really well because
1: scotch makes you want to fight oh well, just... totally
0: and they're ready to fight yeah yeah they were,
1: they were like hp <laughs> on the quidditch field they were not having it
0: nope nope so that's not technically a wine but who cares and... <laughs> <laughs> it's called pairings yeah <laughs> <Deal>. yeah <laughs> and and so well what are you some of your favorite scotches you know scotch
1: well my favorite scotch and um like at this point, it it seems really cliche uh, because it's been really widely popularized by Parks and Rec. But I love Lagavulin. Oh yeah, it's uh, Ron Swanson's favorite scotch. It's also my favorite scotch, and the reason is because it tastes like a fox hunt. Yeah, I <laughs> like it tastes like I imagine an episode of Outlander tastes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, um, and you know we'll have to do our Outlander episode at for some sure, point because we've sure. definitely been doing yeah, we a pairing can do, with that. We can but do a... um. It is so peaty. It, it's and it, like it, it really feels like you're drinking a place rather yeah. than just a scotch. Yeah. You know, like the space side scotches Which... have that great bite to them, and that's cool. The highlands are kind of, you know, neither here nor there, but really the the Isla scotches are, are where it's at for me. And the peaty are the better. And Lagavulin is one of the peatiest that I've been exposed to. You know, there's other ones like Kale Ela and um, some other ones like that, but that is just. It, it, it's it's not very shirey because it's so, like, marshy. It's uh, kind
0: of shirey
1: though. The area that the scotch comes from, that might be more of, like, a space side if we're talking about the Shire, if we compare that. But I, I just have to go with Lagavulin because I—well, Lagavulin's a good Bilbo scotch, though.
0: Yeah, you know, oh, he's got Lagavulin. his nice, warm,
1: uh, yeah. happy Hobbit hole and Hobbiton and— um, well,
0: um, I, I want to go back to what you just said, which I think is perfect in that um, it tastes like you're drinking a place. And that's the whole and, and that's not just true to scotch. That's true to wine, particularly these terroir. old world wines. It's terroir. You're drinking the best wines. T- you're tasting a place like this wine that we're drinking. We're 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 in Burgundy right now, which is like when you're reading the book, you're in Gondor. Or if you're drinking, you're drinking Lagavulin. You're in the Shire. You know. I think that that's that's what drew me to this concept in the first place. This kind of like sensorial relationship between right. between taste it's and it's a very place.
1: holistic experience. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, so so thank you for that. That's perfect. And just to just to close it out, the last place we go in the Lord of the Rings is the Grey Havens. And, um, that's a very sad part of the book, but it's a very beautiful part of the book. And so again, once again, I decided to go in the direction of, this is a really hard chapter for me to read. I want to be drinking one of my favorite wines in the world. And so now I'm going to be drinking Vouvray. Vouvray is made from Chenin Blanc, which we talked about a little bit earlier with Galadriel. Um, and it's in the Loire Valley and it's a wine that has just incredible acidity to it. And it can be sweet or it can be dry or it can be sort of in the middle, but even if it's in the middle, even if it has sweetness to it, that acidity just like cuts through it. And it's my absolute favorite wine in the world if I had to. Well, I feel like I've said that a lot. But uh, <laughs> It's okay, it's okay.
1: But it's It's the favorite right now.
0: It's my favorite right now that I'm talking about. Um <laughs> And I wrote down here, best white wine in the world, fight me.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> Again, the notes. Yeah. A lifesaver. The
0: li- the notes are a lifesaver. Um, sweet and dry, sweet or dry, or bittersweet, kind of like this moment in the book, which left me in tears. But, you know, it's not like sad. I mean, it's sad in the sense of like it's, a, it's pe- friends having to say goodbye to each other, but it's not sad in the sense of like someone died.
1: Yeah. Um. I didn't I didn't read it so for me it just evokes memories of really having to pee. Bouvray? <laughs> no, the, the Great oh. scene. <laughs> oh yeah. Because it was, like, it was like it was like the fourth ending. <laughs> <laughs> and actually when I Wait
0: to bring it down, Winston. <laughs> when, when I
1: saw it I actually went to the bathroom but the theater was so packed that I was like there's no point going back to my seat. So I just stood in the back of the theater for the last 20 minutes of the movie.
0: Oh my god. Well, there you go. But I also wrote down I would drink this forever in the eternity of Valinor. So, you know, if we're going on the ship with Frodo and Gandalf, let's bring a bottle of Vuvray.
1: I like Valinor, too. It's like like Valhalla without the fighting.
0: Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) We'll have to go back and do a Silmarillion episode because, duh. But it's, uh, yeah, I just feel like this wine is appropriate for the journey to the Undying Lands because it is bittersweet. Yeah. There's a lot of beauty to it, but there's a lot of kind of sadness yeah. to it as well. And you well. do have
1: to leave things behind, yeah, to give up a part of yourself. You do.
0: So one of my favorite Vouvre's, and this one is a sec, so it's dry. This is Domaine Vignochevrou Vouvray qui cuvee Silex sec. Again, I'm going to link that in the, in the blog. You'll 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 be able to find it if you can't remember that. Um, Domaine Ue is one of the best Vouvray producers. Um, Francois Chidane, just general grape producer in that region. And, uh, Chateau Moncontour is, is a great, more affordable Vuvray. All right. So then to close it out, one final grape pairing, our boy Gandalf. I bet you noticed that I hadn't paired a grape with him yet. You're my boy, Gandalf. 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 Um, and the grape I'm giving him, this is totally biased, Sangiovese. Yeah. Yeah. Because... Sangiovese is not necessarily considered the greatest grape in the world, but it holds a dear place in my heart. And um, in case that wasn't clear during, you know, my my whole, our whole Sangiovese our, episode. Yeah, yeah our whole Sangiovese episode <laughs> and our the whole you know visiting of Tuscany and all that. But I I just feel like you know Gandalf is not like considered you know at the beginning of the books he's not considered the greatest wizard. Saruman is the greatest wizard. But it turns out, really, in the end, Gandalf is the greatest wizard of all. Because he's kind of like Sam. He's got a good heart. Yeah. Know? He's powerful, but he's got a good heart. And um, many grapes in the world have different kind of clones of themselves. Um, and which, again, we'll get into that in different, maybe in Star Wars episode or something. Um, Sangiovese is one of those that has a, a couple different distinct clones. And... Um, Gandalf the gray versus Gandalf the white to me is very like Chianti versus Brunello. Like he's still the same, but different.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in, the, the core is unchanged. Yeah. But um, there's definitely a more ethereal quality to him when he comes back. Yeah.
0: And, and Sangiovese is just one of my favorites and Gandalf is classic. He's timeless.
1: Yeah. Well, in, in many ways, like what I like about the Lord of the Rings as a, as a work generally but also like as a movie um there's a lot of different sort of emotional centers to it you know, mm-hmm. there's Sam, there's Gandalf, there's Frodo, there's sort of Marion Pippin, there's mm-hmm. the Bond Gimli and Legolas, Legolas and Gimli. Yeah. yeah. There's all these different emotional poles that you can kind of go to.
0: Boromir and Aragorn, yeah. Are Aragorn and Arwen, Aragorn and Aowen. Man, Aragorn is being pulled in a lot of different directions. Yeah. But I think <laughs> I think Gandalf <laughs>
1: operates as his own, like independent kind of. Um, well,
0: and also Gandalf. Gandalf core. is the only through line between the Hobbit and the Lord yeah. of the Rings. He's the one who really yeah. ties this whole story together.
1: And I mean, I don't think it would be as good, but you could easily envision um the whole story told from Gandalf's perspective. If like if Joe if Joe Abercrombie wrote The Lord of the Rings, <laughs> like it, it might would be from it might be from Gandalf's point of view.
0: Yeah, or at least part yeah. of it would be from Gandalf's yeah. point of view. Which is really interesting because you know when it does split off into different Points of view because in in the Fellowship of the Ring it's all from Fro- Frodo's perspective pretty mm-hmm. much because you're with Frodo the whole time, then when everybody splits up, then you sort of split up into Frodo or Frodo and Sam then gets his own kind of perspective. Yeah, it sort of Sam shifts wise from the strong. Yeah, it shifts from Frodo more Frodo being the narrator to Sam being the narrator, and Pippin and Aragorn, um, but. But Gandalf is never really one. Uh, one of the like narrators. But he's so
1: omnipresent. Mm-hmm. You know. He
0: is. He is, and he's, yeah. I I think one of the best characters in literature.
1: Yeah.
0: So that we did it. We made it, guys. We got through.
1: We all made Holy it on this smokes. epic journey.
0: Holy smokes! Thank you so much for joining me, Winston, and you listeners. Um, for indulging me in talking about two of my favorite things in the world, uh, Lord of the Rings and wine. And, I, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else we want to say to close it out?
1: All you oh. have to do is decide what to do with the wine that is left to you. <laughs> this is like a super dirty bad joke. <laughs> that was amazing.
0: This is my favorite joke ever. <laughs> I love
1: it. I'm glad you liked it. Forget the rest of you guys. You liked it. I'm reading the room.
0: (laughs) That made me really happy. Cheers. Pairing was created, produced, hosted, and edited by Emma Scherzarko. With music, audio recording, and co-hosting by Winston Shaw. And logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. If you'd like more information, links, and clarifications on what we talked about this episode, please check out the show notes and visit our blog on our website at thepairingpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing to keep tabs on what we're up to. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com pairingpodcast, where you can pledge as little as $1 a month to get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, live streams, and more feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website or on any social media platform. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time, cheers.